If you have your Bibles, you can uh, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, if you just want to hang out there uh, just for a minute. And um, have you ever seen those people that uh, it's hard for you, you you know that they're smart and you know that they've got some wisdom or you know that they they probably have the answers to your questions, but you're almost too afraid to ask them because you know if you ask even the simplest of questions, the answer that they deliver will just go like super deep and philosophical to the point that you may not even be able to gather what they actually said, right? And there's these people that I know, I know somewhere within the, the depth and the words that aren't even in the dictionary yet, they're so big, that somewhere in there is, is the answer to my question. I just feel like I'm too simple-minded to gather it, and so I try to avoid those people. Um, and I feel like it's, in some ways, the disciples had to have felt this way a little bit about Jesus, because there were multiple times when uh, they would come to him and they would ask what seemingly on the surface is this incredibly simple questions. And then he would answer with like something from a different universe. Uh, and, and, they're, and they're like, man, I, I, I'm sure that the answer is within that. But you just went so deep, so fast, so quick. You know, I don't even know. And they just stayed confused. I mean, how many times did you see in Scripture when it said that they would ask Jesus a question and then Jesus would answer them and then they would go and get in a group together and as soon as Jesus was off doing his thing, they'd be like, hey, uh, Peter, did you get that? Like, because he said a bunch of stuff and, and I don't even, did you? Did, and there were times where Jesus said and they knew they were questioned. They knew they were, and so he would come and then like dumb it down for them. And, and I feel like uh, this is just a, a normal part of Jesus because he's just so much greater. And he speaks to a deep part of us and a deep part of humanity that sometimes that we don't even allow ourselves to get to. And, and this, there is a, there's a question uh, that in, in Matthew that the disciples ask Jesus. And he does this. He does this. He, he goes to this deep place. And, and I don't think that they were aware of it, and I don't even think that they gathered the fullness of what he was saying even in the minute. And I think that it's been 2,000 years, and there's a large portion of humanity that still hasn't gotten the fullness and the depth of what Jesus actually responded to the, the answer that he actually gave to their question. We, we see the, the, the surface of it, and I think we get the gist of it, and we kind of get the point of it, but that even in our hearts and our minds, after 2,000 years of preaching, 2,000 years of teaching, 2,000 years of studying, there's still a large portion of believers and followers of Christ who have not yet fully grasped the depth at which Christ goes in his answer to the disciples of their very simple question. And this morning, I want to See if we can attempt to go there with Jesus, to go to that depth, to get to that place that he was, that he's talking to, to see if that we can, because it's not something that we're going to be able to understand like in our human minds in a practical way. There's a, there's a spiritual depth here that is going to prevent us from going there because it's going to a place that's almost uncomfortable for some people. But that's my hope and that's my prayer this morning is that we can, that we can, that we can go there with Jesus just a little bit. And and the important thing that you understand is when I read this, the important thing that to understand is, is that we're going to go through it because language is always important. Uh, the, the words that we use, the choice, the word choice that we use um, when we're describing things or we're explaining things, um, language is, is extremely important because you can say, James even says that there's power uh, of life and death rests in the tongue. There, there are words that you can say, there are things that you can say, and there are ways that you can say them that can give life and, and bring death. That there's power in your words, there's power in the words that you choose to use, there's power in the language. And because there's all kinds of different words that mean different things, and you can say some things that are extremely similar but one word carries a crazy amount of power and depth to it, while another word keeps you up at the surface. And if you're not aware, even though they're synonymous, even though they're parallel, even though they're the same, and, and, but, but one takes you to a little bit different place, a little bit deeper place than the other one. And if you're not careful and you miss out on Jesus' language and his answer, and you're not aware of the specific language and the words that he used as he phrased this answer to them, you will lose that depth. You won't be able to get to that depth at which Jesus is talking about. And so the language is extremely important here. And the question that they ask, and this is just a simple question, and many of you will just, as soon as I say it, uh, you'll kind of, you'll, you'll kind of, because it's not going to, you're thinking, I'm talking about something that you've never heard of. And for many people, they're just going to, 
they're just going to, oh man, I thought he was really going somewhere. <laughs> and this is what they, this is what they asked Jesus. They said, they said, Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus, how should we pray? And, and because they, they've seen all the religious leaders pray, and they've seen John the Baptist pray, and they've seen all these other people pray, but there was something inherently different about Jesus and his power and the power that he possessed and the authority that he had and the way that he prayed. And so they looked around and they saw all these other examples, but they looked at something about Jesus that they wanted. And they said, okay, so let's go ask him how we should pray. What does he think? Because he's obviously, there's something there within him uh, that, that we don't possess and they don't possess. So let's just go, let's just see what he's doing. And so they asked the question and Jesus gives a response. And the first response he gives is kind of the negative, the how not to do it. And then he gives the positive or how to do it. And so I just want us to read this uh, together. So Matthew uh, 6, starting with verse 5 and verse 6. It's just two simple, simple statements. And this is what he says to their answer. And when you pray, uh, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, this is one of the most, uh, not overused, but used scriptures, known scriptures, famous scriptures in all of the Bible. And, and anytime you hear a message about prayer, anytime you hear the idea of prayer, uh, this idea is going to come up. This, the idea of, of getting into a room and closing the door, it's something that I say on a regular basis. It's something that's a part of our culture, a Christian culture. It's something that, that we understand. Now, we may not do it, but we understand it, and we've heard it, and we get it. But the problem is, and I want you to remember, the problem is, is that, that, again, the language that Jesus uses is so important, and he's so specific with the words that he uses. He's so specific in the, in the words that, that he chooses to describe uh, the, the ideas in this, these, these few short sentences that it highly matters that you understand those words and those specific words that he chooses to use because they, they take you to a different place than the ones that even that we just read. And so I want to go through them just for a few minutes. I want to go through them, and I want us to look at these words. I want us to look, I want us to look at them, and I want us to see what he means. And I want to show you the difference a lot of times between what he said, what he meant, and, and the power, that, the word that he used in his original language versus kind of what we see. Now, they're not wrong. It's just that one takes you far deeper into a truth, and the other one takes you to a more surface level of the truth. Does that make sense? And so I want to I go to the middle of the scripture because it's something that, that so much of the time I think that we, we, we see the first part of the statement and we see the second part of the statement and we focus on the first and focus on the, on the last, but we miss that middle part. And that middle part, and, this is, and I've written it just how, just how he says it and exactly the way that he says it in the Greek. I've written it for you just like this, and this is what it says. The, to the Father, it doesn't say to Father of you or to the Father of you who is in secret. That's what he says. It says, to father of you, to the father of you, your father who is in secret. Now, I want to share with you the massive difference between the idea of secret or hidden and the idea of unseen, which in many translations is what this word is translated into, the idea of being unseen. Because in the NIV and some of the other ones, it says, to our father, who is unseen. Now you can be in secret and you cannot be seen and therefore there's truth in the fact that you are unseen but that's not the word that Jesus uses. There were multiple words that Jesus could have specifically used to paint the picture of being unseen or not being able to see but he chooses this word that literally translates in no way shape or form unseen but it literally translates in, into hidden or secret or hidden inward. And there's a difference. Now, you can be hidden inwards and be secret, and so you're not seen, and there's truth to that, but there's a difference. And he could have used words to say unseen, but he used words to say secret. So if that, if that distinction is there in your heart and your mind, you've got to gather this fact of the power behind and the meaning behind what Jesus actually says with this statement. Our Father is in secret. Our Father is hidden. Our Father is in this, this secret place. Our Father is in this hidden place. He's in this, he's in this inward place. Our Father, His Father, God, Yahweh, creator of the universe, the living God, our Father God, 
We, he is in a secret place. That's different than unseen. It's not just unseen. It's a significant place. It's a secret place. He's hidden. This is different. Because what Jesus is saying is, he said, we all, we all get that God is, is, is omnipresent. We get that God is all-powerful. We get that God is, is just as much in this room as he is in another room somewhere else. We get that God is everywhere, anywhere. We get that God is, stands outside of time. We understand those concepts. Nobody's arguing with those concepts. But Jesus takes this to a little bit different level, and he says, our Father is in secret. Our Father is hidden. Our Father is in this inward place. And it's significant that you have to understand that there is a depth to God that cannot be reached unless you find yourself in this same secret, in this same hidden place, in this same secret place. Jesus' point was there's an idea of God, there's a certain aspect to God, there's a depth to God, there's a presence to God, there's a realness to God, there, there is a tangibleness to God that can only be found in secret, that it cannot be found or experienced or touched or connected to in public. Does that make sense? Now that's totally, totally different than just stating the obvious truth that God is unseen. Right? Anybody seen God with their own eyes? Please don't raise your hand. Because I haven't. Right? Of course God's unseen. Of course, of course we can't see God in his fullness. Of course we get this basic truth. But the word that he uses, he said, there, God, our Father, he's in secret. He's hidden. There, there's, some, there's some area, there's a secret place, there's, there's, a, there's a part of us in our hearts, in our minds, that, that's a secret place where the presence of God is. And it's only in that place do we get to experience that or find that or see that or feel that, that, that you cannot in public get to that place. Which is why he responded the way he did first with the negative. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who stand out on the street corners and, and, and saying all the right words and saying all the right things and praying so that other people can see them and see how holy they are. And they go to the synagogue and they get up to the front and they bow down and they scream and, and they make a big ruckus. And they're, and, and they're saying all the right things and they're saying all the things that matter and they're speaking a whole lot of truth and they know the Bible like the back of their hand and, and they're out there. But he said that they're hypocrites. That word hypocrite just means actor. I mean, they're acting. They're not being for real. They're not really getting it he said their reward is basically whatever people think about them that's the reward in that that's what they gain when they stand and they lift their hands and they pray before people and they try to connect with God in public and they try to go there and it's for show and it's for what people think and he said Jesus listen the only thing they're going to get the only thing that they receive is whatever it is that people think about them and like me, the people that, that, that pray the loudest and, the, and they're the, they're the, and they're, you know, look at me how great I am. And those are the people we think the most negative thoughts about. No, nobody's down there in the synagogues going, oh, look at that holy Pharisee. Such a good guy. He's so great. I can just see him praying, God, I just want to thank you so much uh, for how amazing you've made me. I just, I want to thank you, God, that you allowed me to live so holy this week and to be so smart. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making me great and amazing. Amen. I pray like that all the time. I'm just kidding. But there's a depth to that. There, Jesus is saying there, there is a power in understanding that there is a part of God that cannot be reached by the depths of the human soul in public. That there is a part of God, there's a depth to God, there's a realness to God that can only be found in secret. And this is why he uses the words that he used as he instructs us to get there. And I want to read this to you. I'm going to read this just in, the, in, in, in exactly word for word how it is in the Greek. It says, you, however, when you pray, enter into the room of you and having shut the door of you, pray to the father of you or to father of you who is in secret. And the Father of you, the one seen in secret, will reward you. So you, however, when you pray, enter into the room of you. So I, I want you to understand that, that this word room, even the word room that he uses, that even in the King James, I think it's translated as like closet or linen closet. Or, or there's, this, there's this, you go to a room where nobody is, basically. There, that there's, a, there's a specific place kind of in mind with that. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. 
So first, in the middle, he says, listen, our Father is in secret. He's hidden. He's in this place. There's a depth of God that you can't get to in public. And he says, so because there's a depth of God that you can't get to in public, he says, Peter, John, guys, I'm telling you right now, you've got to get to a place where you can get to the room of you, get to a place of you. And that word, it literally, it literally translates a secret chamber or a room that nobody else knows about. It doesn't mean closet. It doesn't mean linen closet. It doesn't mean your spare room. It doesn't even mean a prayer room. It doesn't mean anything like that. It says you go to a place that's a secret to everybody else. It's a chamber. It's a room. It's a place. It's a location that, that nobody else knows about. And it's, it's yours. It's your place. It's within you. And I, I want to be clear here because, because again, it just there, there, there's one when you can say room, and understand it like I understand room, like we're in a room together right now, and there's a room at my house, and I have a bedroom, and I have a kitchen room. It's a bad example. And I have a living room and a bedroom. I wonder why all the other rooms go together, but kitchen's like a thing of its own. These are the things I think about. But it, he says, there's a, there's, go to a place where, where nobody knows where you are. It's a secret room. It's a secret chamber. And this is, e even in Jesus' kind of instructions to them, he says, listen, God's in secret. He's in the secret place, and you guys got to get to a place where you go in secret to find him. You go in secret to find him. And the power, and I'm going to tell you this, the power is not in the room itself. It's not in that secret chamber of your heart. It's not in, it's not, it's, there's not a specific room. There's not a power. There's not a room that you can just walk into and all of a sudden there's power in it um, and there's, there's, there's just this presence in it and because there's something significant about the physical room that you're in because it's not. In fact, one of the most powerful uh, uh, secret chambers or, or secret rooms or secret places that I've experienced in my life was a cornfield when I lived in Ohio. I lived in a dorm with, with a bunch of guys and a bunch of different people, and there was always a ton of people around. And so the only place that I really had to go then, I was 18, the only place I really had to go then, I went out, I crossed this one big uh, field, and I went into the cornfield. And if you went about 50 feet into the cornfield, there was a place of about a six-foot wide row all the way down the thing. And I just walked up and down the row. And from years, for almost a year, that was like my secret place. Now, there's nothing powerful about a cornfield. In fact, if you've ever seen Children of the Corn, it's kind of creepy. And I'm telling you right now, with all the faith that I had, the first time that I realized that's the only place I can go get along with God, I was walking, not very confident, through there. I was, someone told me there's an opening somewhere over there, and about 40 feet in, I was going, man, that loser lied to me. I'm going to get out here and get lost and die in this cornfield. Bunch of evil little kids running around somewhere. But for, for a long time, that was my, that was, so the, the, the significance of it, it's not, there's not a room, there's, there's not a room that you can even dedicate, there's not a power, there's really no, this room right here, there's no power in this room. There's bars and there's lights and there's walls and there's a roof and there's a floor and it's just a room. The power is the intention and the expectation in which you enter it for. You can enter a room just like this at a restaurant or just like this at a bar, just like this at a, an arcade or just like this somewhere else, and you can have an expectation of that. But you enter into any room with an expectation to get alone with the presence of God or an expectation or intention to, to find that depth of God that's in secret, that there's a depth to that. If you walk into it with the intention and the expectation of that, that's what begins to make that room a secret place. And the power behind it is not even in that. The power is how you shut yourself up in it. Or the power is how you close the door in it. Because Jesus, again, the language, he's very specific to say the things that he says. Now, I have ADD, and sometimes I start to talk, and sometimes my mouth starts to move, and, and I'm pretty sure I know what I'm saying most of the time, but every now and then some random stuff just comes out. And sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's not. And they're like, man, that's really good. And I'm like, man, that is kind of good. No clue where that came from. But I don't think Jesus was like that. I think when Jesus said what he said, he meant what he said, he chose the words what he said, that there was a great, that he meant what he said. So he said, go, go into the room of you or go into the secret chamber of you. And then it says, now close the door of you. And I, and I want to be very clear. He doesn't say, go into the room of you and then close the door to the room. There's, there's two ways to do that, to say that, if that's what you want to say. He said, go into the room, go into the secret chamber of you, go into your secret chamber, and then he says, and close your door. 
to you. Close that door of you. See, there's truth in both, but there's a depth to it. There's a power in it. And that word door right there, it literally means, it literally means door or opportunity. Door opportunity. Meaning you don't have uh, an opportunity to go into a room if there's not a what? A door. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, I want you to get to a place. I want you to understand in your heart and in your mind. That our Father, the presence of a living God, that, that He is in a secret place waiting on you. And so when you want to commune with Him and you want to connect with Him and you want to get to Him, you go into a secret chamber, go into a secret chamber where no one knows you're there. You go into it and then you close off, you eliminate every opportunity for anybody else to find you, for anybody else to get you. You eliminate every opportunity for the world to get to you in that moment. Do you know how simple that is to say and how difficult that is to pull off? You know? Think about the last time you eliminated the opportunity for the world and all of it to get to you. One, you have to separate yourself from your cell phone, which is becoming a legitimate chemical addiction. Right? Right? You know that good feeling you have when your phone, you know, oh, Facebook like, and you look at it, that's dopamine releasing in your body the same way if you were to do drugs. Not kidding. That's why when you go to bed at night, what's right next to your face and the last thing you look at? Your phone. And when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you look. You got to eliminate all opportunity. That means you got to separate yourself from your crack, I mean your phone. So for me, a lot of times, like when I, this week, like when I, when I come in during the week, this room right now, man, this is a public room, and there's, there's hundreds of people in here, and we're all together, and we're, we're doing our thing, and it's an amazing thing, and we love it, and we love what God does on Sundays. But during the week, man, this is my primary secret place. Don't tell anybody. I feel like almost a hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite telling you where my secret place is. But this is my secret place. I come in, I will turn my phone on airplane mode, and I will leave it in the back of the sound booth. I'll come up here, I will lock this door so nobody can get on stage, and I'll go to the volunteer room, and I'll lock that door so nobody can get back there. So if anybody walks into this room, they got to come through those two doors, and I have time to run away before they see me. I keep it pitch black dark, I turn on some music, and I begin to seek the face of God in my secret place. I eliminate all possibility. I'll tell, uh, I'll tell Caitlin, our secretary, I said, unless somebody is dying or a nuclear bomb goes off, nobody's to walk down there and come find me. Nobody. It, it's got to be like you have to see. If they say it's serious, say, show me the blood. Like, show me an image. And I, want, I don't want anybody to mess with me. I do everything in my power to eliminate any opportunity of the world getting to me. And I come into my secret place. But there's some days when, like, they've got to be in here and they've got to do light stuff or they've got to build st stage stuff or they've got to work in here. And, and I can't come in here. And so I go down to the youth room or I go to a different place and I do the same thing. Some mornings, early in the morning, I wake up and it's pitch black dark outside and I just got this thirst for God. And I'll go into my living room and, and Courtney's in her zombie state in the bedroom and, and Aubrey won't be up for hours. And, and I go in there and I turn on some music and I turn the lights off. And right there in that living room, it becomes my secret place to get alone with God, to seek his face, because there's a depth of God that you just can't get to when someone else is in the room with you. There's a depth of God that you just can't get to unless it's you and God alone. It reminds me of the story of Martha and Mary. And, and, and later on in Matthew, and it comes up in Luke 2, Jesus walks in, into town where Martha and Mary lived, and, and Martha ran out to, the, uh, to, to meet and greet uh, Jesus and his disciples. And he said, she said, you're welcome to come to our house, and we'll, we'll host you, and you guys can stay with us, and we'll make dinner, and, and we'll fellowship together, and we'll, we'll, we'll do all these, these awesome things together. And so Jesus and the disciples, they go to Martha's house. And when they go to Martha's house, um, they get there. Martha starts uh, working, and there's a sister there. There's the, and I'm, I'm just assuming it's the baby sister. And, 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 and Mary, Mary uh, sees Jesus, and the, Jesus walks in uh, to what, I don't know, the living room area, I guess. And he sits down, and the disciples sit down in the room around him. And, and he begins to teach, and he begins to talk to, to his people. And it says that Mary just was sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
just taking in every ounce of what he said, taking in every word of what he said, just sitting at his feet, just, just, just consuming him, just taking him in. While, while Martha was in, in the kitchen uh, room and doing her thing and, and, and working and cooking and cleaning and setting up and hosting and, and doing all the things. And, and the Bible literally says the word, it says that she was distracted by so much serving. She was distracted by so much doing. And she was so distracted and so frustrated with the situation that she came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm in here working. I'm in here doing all this stuff. I'm knocking my to-do list out. I'm getting everything ready. I'm preparing. I'm hosting. I'm cooking. I'm doing my thing. And Mary's just sitting in there at your feet like a spoiled little brat. And I want you to tell her to come help me work. Every older sibling in the building is like, I know the feeling. And Jesus says, Jesus says, Mary, I mean, Martha, Martha. Martha, if they say your name twice, they're disappointed in you. If they say your name once and your middle name with it loudly, in my experience, you should just run. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And he says, you're so worried. You're so anxious and troubled and upset about so many different things. But there's only one thing that you need. There's only one thing that is necessary. There's only one thing that your soul truly hungers for. There's only one thing that your spirit truly thirsts for. There's only one thing that you need. You have all these other things that you're worried about, all these other things that you're anxious about, all the to-do list, the, 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 the work, the plan, all the serving, everything. You got all this stuff. But Martha, I'm telling you right now, as the Lord and creator of all the earth, I can promise you there is only one thing that you need. And Mary knows it. And Mary's chosen the good portion. She's chosen that thing. So why don't you quit worrying and working and serving and come sit down at my feet? The other week, uh, I got a, we got a gift certificate um, for, uh, for Christmas, for Epic uh, Chop House in Mooresville. Uh, it's one of my favorite, steak's one of my favorite food in the world. And um, I, I just been, we went there with some, some great friends of ours, and I was, I was so excited about the steak. I, was, I told Courtney the day before, I was like, since we got a gift certificate and it's like free, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it up. I'm going to get like the biggest steak there I've, I've ever seen. There's a steak there called, I think it's called the Tomahawk. It's 48 ounces of just 30-day-aged tender Steak, it's just heavenly. Let's just all take a second. <laughs> just think about it. I got there, and, and the, the guy was a good friend, super, very wise man, talked me out of being an idiot. And uh, so I wound up getting just the 12-ounce filet mignon, which was exceptional. I was so excited about this. I was so excited all day. And they got another thing that I love really good. It's Shanghai shrimp. Yeah, Shanghai shrimp, bang bang shrimp. It's all that they put different names on it. But it's like it's it's like it's like I imagine that this is what like Jesus eats in heaven. It's just it's so good, and I love it so much. I made it at the house, and if I'm honestly, I truly like mine better. It's just I, I really do. It's the same recipe, and I make like I make two pounds of it, and then Courtney eats four or five shrimp, and then I just consume the rest. It's so good. And so we got there, and, 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 and we ordered the Shanghai shrimp and, and I think another appetizer, and they brought bread, and, 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 and we had drinks, and, we had, and we got a, uh, I got a big Caesar salad, and, and Courtney only ate like half her salad, so I ate the Shanghai shrimp and, and the bread, and I'm on a diet, by the way, and, and a Caesar salad and, uh, and, and a lot of her salad, and to the point that the lady was coming up, and, and like she like started to take Courtney's salad away, and I took it out of her hand, and I put it down, and I looked at her, as if she was evil, and I finished Courtney's salad, and it was so good. And then this is no, and then when they, they brought the steak out that I had been waiting for at least two days on, they set it before me, I was so full. <laughs> and I ate one bite, and I'm like, there's no way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so full. I forced myself to eat three or four bites, and I couldn't finish it. No lie, I couldn't finish it. Put it, put it uh, in the go box, took it home, I ate it the next day for breakfast. Um, but it was so full. And this is, this is the same thing that, that, that Martha and Mary are dealing with. This is the same thing that we deal with every day in our life, that we, we fill up on the distractions of this world and we miss the main course. 
We fill up on the distractions. We fill up on our to-do list, and we fill up on the things that's got to get done around the house, and we fill up on all of our, our hobbies and all of our wants, and, all, and we fill up on our TV shows, and we fill up on all the, all the distractions, and that's what the, Jesus calls them. They're all just distractions, distracting you from the one thing that you really need, and we're so filled up with all these distractions that when it comes time uh, to, to, to enter into the presence of God, that we don't even have room in our life, room in our time capacity, room in our mental capacity, room in our emotional capacity to take in that one thing that our soul truly thirsts for. And you, if you ask somebody, you know, no, why don't we seek God and why we don't go after? The number one answer is always what? Time. Just God, I don't have time. And we do, we, Jesus says, listen, you have a choice to make. You got a choice to make, Martha. You got your to-do list. You got all these things. You got, and, and it's all good. I'm, I'm sure the, the lamb chops you're in there making, I'm sure they're going to be fantastic. But I'm only going to be with you for a short time. I'm the, I'm the main course. I'm the, I'm, I, I'm the good portion. I'm the thing that matters. I'm the one thing that you need. I'm the one thing that your soul hungers for. I'm it. That's it. So come get me. And I, over the last few weeks, I have started to consider the reality of, of not just our people, but of, of, of the majority of modern believers in Christ. And the Lord has really spoke spoke to me in a way that, that hasn't brought pain, and it's not a disappointment, but it's a sadness in my heart. And the only way that I think I can relate this in a way is it's, it's as if you know, you, you look at w- like one of your children or, or a sibling or somebody or, or somebody that you know has so much potential and you see, them, you see them throw it away for something that is so minuscule compared to what they could have done with their life. You know that feeling? That's it's how I feel. It's, I feel like that's the emotion that the Lord has just put in my heart that are his people, his children, that, that, that he has so much stored up for them, so much prepared for them, so much in this secret place, so much realness, so much tangibleness, so much presence, so much power, so much in this. And he's just waiting there in that secret place, waiting on on us to get into a room and shut the door behind us and shut the world and eliminate the opportunities and stop chasing the distractions. And he's just waiting on it. But we just, we, it's like we never come. It's like you, you, you've got plans with somebody that you look forward to all week long and then Friday night shows up and you're sitting at the restaurant and they never come. And then you look on Facebook and they're, and they're doing something else. They're with somebody else. You got stood up. Or that hope, and, I, and I, I, there's that, that, that hope that like, I, I can just imagine like as a, as a child, like, and I remember when, you, when you're waiting on like your parent to come home, you're waiting on your dad to come home, you're waiting on, you're waiting on something, to come, and you're just, all day you're looking forward to it, all day you're looking forward to it, you're going to go play basketball, you're going to go do something fun, you're going to go, you just, all day you're going to go fishing, you're just going to, all day you're waiting on, on him to come home all day, and then, and then you get a phone call, and it's like, oh, I got to work later, I got to do this, and then it's, it's, it's not a big deal, it's just working, but it's like your soul is crushed. You've been there? I just feel, in my heart, I just feel that's, that's God sitting in the secret place, sitting in that place that we can't get to in public, waiting on us. And he just watches us go after all these other distractions, spend our time doing all these other things, ignoring the one thing that we desperately, truly need in the depths of our life. And this week, I've been drawn to uh, Psalm 42. Taylor, you can actually go ahead and come up here. I've been drawn to to Psalm 42. And this this chapter, it's David writing this this song of this writing this prayer to God. And and in this song, it's, it's, it's at a time in his life where he, he's older, he's, he's, he's been a king for a long time, and, and one of his sons, and at one point was, was his, one of his favorite sons, began to rise up in the kingdom, and he began to manipulate situations and manipulate things and stand at the front gate of the kingdom, and, and as people would come in seeking counsel from David, and he would whisper in their ear, you know, tell them, listen, David can't help you, the king can't help you, there's nothing set up for you, but, but I can help you, and I can do it, and so, so over time, he, the Bible says he stole the hearts of the people from David. 
And then he basically just had a coup and he went in and he declared himself king and, and he took the army away from David. He took the palace away from David. He took the temple away from David. David, much of his wealth, much of his treasure, much of his family, and David was cast out of his own kingdom, not knowing whether his son was going to follow up and kill him. And so he's sitting way out here in the desert and, and he, he has nothing. He's lost everything. He lost his wealth, his power, his position. I mean, he lost his kingdom, his throne. Uh, the, even the hearts of the people weren't with him anymore because of the manipulation and the lies of his son. And, and he's just sitting out here. And, and, and there's just like this, obviously, there's just this agony. But do you know what was just breathtaking to me? That shows us the difference. And God describes David as a man after his own heart. That shows the difference of what a man after God's own heart looks like versus what many of us look like most of the time. Because David's out there, and I'm telling you, he lost everything. But if you go through and you read Psalm 42 and you read what David wrote, there was only one thing that he was upset about. There was only one thing that he was missing. And it wasn't the throne, and it wasn't the power, and it wasn't the army, and it even wasn't even his family. It wasn't the wealth. It wasn't any of that. What he missed the most was the house of God. And he began to say, my soul thirsts for you, God. I'm stuck out here in the desert, and I'm like a deer panting at water, so hungry, so thirsty for you, so thirsty for your presence. And he looks back, he goes, I remember the days, I remember the days when I used to lead the congregation down to the house of God, dancing and singing and, and getting into the presence of God. I, I, re I remember the days when I would go in at night when no one else was there, and I would get as close to the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was as I could, and I would just bask in your presence, and I would just bask in who you were, and I would just seek your face all day long. And he but now I'm stuck out here and I'm just I'm still seeking you but I just don't feel you and I'm hungry for you and that blew my mind and I want you to think about this for a second because if you lost everything your wealth your power your if you lost everything would that be your heart and your mind sitting out in the desert hungry for one thing and one thing alone to be back in the presence of God and there's one scripture uh, in the middle of it, and it's one, to me, one of the most powerful truths in scripture. And he says, the deep calls unto deep. He says, in the roar of your waterfall, in the roar of your waterfall, as your waves and your breakers wash over me, the deepest part of who you are, God, calls out to the deepest part of who I am. The depth of God speaks to the depths of my soul. It's like the roaring of a washing water, just washing over us. He says, that is what I'm hungry for. That is what I'm missing in my life. This is what David's saying in the desert. That's what I need. I need to get back to a place where the deepest part of God speaks to the deepest part of me. And the difference and I'm going to be clear about this. The difference between David and his situation and us now is then because of sin and the domination of the enemy in this world before the crucifixion, the presence of God wasn't everywhere like it was in the temple in the holies of holies. That's why it was called the holies of holies. It's where the presence of God was, and that's what David was missing. But the thing that I think the modern Christian forgets the most about the cross and about the victory that we gained in Christ was that losing uh, the judgment or losing the conviction or losing the punishment or the consequences of sin was a minute issue that Christ solved on the cross. That the biggest thing that Christ earned for us was the ability to enter into the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, the real presence of God anywhere, anytime, any place. It says that when he hung on the cross, after he said, Father God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, oh hi, why have you forsaken me? It said, Father, I commend my, my spirit back into your hands. It said in that moment, the earth shook and the thunder cracked and the veil that separated the, the holies of holies to the world tore in half, signifying that the presence of God was now available throughout the universe. And then at any moment, any time, the human soul can now find a secret place. Go into it. Enter into that secret chamber of our heart. Anywhere. Get alone with God. Shut the door to the world behind them. Shut the, eliminate the opportunity for anything to get to you. And then find the presence of God, our Father, who is in secret. 
We have that ability to do that. David didn't have that ability, but we have that ability. At any moment in time, right now, someone who's washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, who was a follower of Jesus, who is under the grace of the cross, at any moment in time, you can walk into a room, shut the world out, and enter into the manifest presence of a powerful and a living God. But you watch Netflix. You go play golf. You go fishing. You watch football. You're trying to hook up with girls. Trying to find guys. Trying to get the next big job. You're so bored, you just make stuff up to go do. We live on social media. How bored does one have to be to find life and excitement in a phone screen of bullcrap that people put on their Facebook statuses. But that consumes us. But 10 feet away from you, you could walk into a room, get into a secret place, eliminate the opportunities from the world of coming in and enter into the presence of God. But we don't. This morning, I'm going to ask you, why? 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 Why on earth? And I, I'm not asking, I'm asking myself, why? Why? Why do I not just chase it every day, all day? Why do I even have hobbies? Why do I even find enjoyment in other things? See, this exposes a deep, deep issue in our hearts and our minds. And I want you to know the power in the end of this statement that Jesus made. Because it's exceptional. He says, you go into a room, into a secret chamber, you close the door behind you. And then you pray or you commune right, with our Father who is in secret. It's not petition. That word, it's not prayers and petition. God, give me this guy. It's not that. It's the exchange, literally the exchanging of thoughts or the exchanging. It's communion. It's conversation. It's talking. It's exchanging the human soul, human, human thoughts, human ideas for the thoughts and the power of God. Literally, that's the word prayer. It means, it's exchange. That's what it means in there. You go into Father who's in secret and you pray to him. And it says, and then our Father who's in secret, the one seeing in secret, he will reward you. And this is the thing I want you to listen to me. Because there's a lot of you right now, you are empty and you know it and you're looking and you're searching for all kinds of things. And this is the part of the message that you need to listen to. There's some of you, you've walked through this like the scavengers of divorce and you are just open wounded. You are just, just scarred almost to the depth of your heart and you are hungry for something. You don't know what it is and this is the part you need to listen. There are children and teenagers, your parents have gone through divorce and you are just wounded and you are just hurt. There, the world has taken things from us, taken our emotions, taken our, just taken our confidence, taken everything, emptied us out completely. This culture has just taken things from us in so many different avenues, in so many different ways. And this is the part that I really, everybody needs to listen to this part right here because it's significant that you understand the language that Jesus uses in the word reward because it literally means to give back to pay back to give back it's the idea of giving back something that has been taken from you and what 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 Jesus is saying and I'm just gonna say this outright Jesus is saying when they ask him how do you pray Jesus delivers a powerhouse principle and truth. One they weren't searching for in the moment. He said this, our Father is in a secret place. And so you've got to enter into a secret room. You've got to enter into a secret chamber. And you've got to close the door behind you. Eliminate the world. Any thoughts, anything, any, anything getting to you. Eliminate all the opportunities for anybody to get to you. Make sure nobody knows even where you are. Just get as secret as you can and begin to seek our Father who is in secret. And when you get to that secret place in God, what He sees in that secret place, then He begins to give back to you in that moment 
what the world's stolen from you. He begins to give back that emotion that was there. He begins to give back the confidence that was there. He begins to give back himself. The thing that sin cost you, he begins to give it back. The thing that the culture took from you, he begins to give it back. The emptiness, he begins to fill it up. The wounds, he begins to bring healing. It's in this moment, it's in these moments that God the provider, God the healer, God the begins to fill us up and begins to work on us and begins to give back to us what the enemy, what hell, what the world, what culture, and what sin has stolen from us. And here's the thing that I want you to hold on to the most. Nowhere else in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelations, does it say that God does that in any other situation or circumstance. You hear me? There's no other place where it says it can happen in the secret place, but it can also happen, you know, over here at O'Charlie's. It can happen in the secret place, but it can also happen at Life Group. It can happen in the secret place, but it can also happen not that word, not that way, not that power. Jesus is painting a picture for the human race to understand that there is a depth of God that exists only in secret. You cannot get to it in public. You've got to get alone with God, learn to get alone with God, to shut yourself up, to close off the opportunity for the world to get in. And when God sees you finally get to that place, finally walk in and close the door behind you, seeking his face in that secret place, when he gets there and he sees that, then he begins to pour back into you. And he begins to deliver himself, deliver his spirit. This is where growth takes place. This is where power takes place. This is where we gain all that power that we see in in public from so many people. This is where they get it in private. It's not like you're not just, I don't pray. It's not you're, I'm being a bad Christian. I just don't follow the rules or I just don't. You're not, you're sacrificing the one thing that your soul is hungry for. Does that make sense? And you know you're hungry. You know you're thirsty. You know you ache. You know we have emotional scarring. You know we have pains. You know, you know. And Jesus is in the secret place. Let that depth of God begins to get back. Begins to, it literally means to restore you. So that you can go back out into the world. So that you can go back out. It's in this place. There's a power. There's a power. I hope at the end of this service, everybody comes down and spends time at the altar and prays and worships and seeks God's face. There's a power in that corporate. There's a power in that. But there's something different altogether for learning to get along with our Father who is in secret and chasing Him there in that moment. See, there's a lot of you you ask the questions, I just feel like I just, I'm not getting this. I feel like I don't know. And I feel like I don't. In my experience, what I see in scripture and in my life, that direction that you look for the most, God, should I go right or should I go left? It's answered in the secret place. That place when you, you need wisdom about a decision you need, you need wisdom about a situation in your life, the times, at least in my life and what I see in scripture, it happens in that, in that secret place. That time that you just got emotional wounds and pains that that you just can't seem to deal with any other way, God begins to heal them, at least for me and what I see in Scripture in that secret place. God died. He sent His Son to die on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have the ability to enter into the presence of God. And it's so much sweeter It's so much greater. There's so much restoration. There's so much power in it. And there's nothing in this world that can remotely compare to knowing God on this level, to knowing God on this depth. Because it's in these moments, what David said, it's in these moments where the deepest part of God, the most real part of God, the most tangible part of God, that it's in these moments that it just reaches out through the world through and into the deepest part of who we are. And when you experience that for the first time, as God is my witness, you will never, ever be the same. And you will be hungry for it for the rest of your life. There is a depth and a presence to God in this secret place. And so my challenge to you is find out 
if I'm telling the truth. I can promise you this. There's nothing on Netflix. There's nothing on Facebook. There's not a friend you have in this world. There's not a family member you have in this world. There's not some dude or some girl that's hot enough. There's there's nothing in this universe that will compare to what you've experienced in the secret place of God. So this morning, I want us to worship, and I want us to worship in a different way. I want us to begin to seek God even right now in this house, right now in this place. Together, let's seek Him. And then when you leave here, begin to seek out a secret place for your life. And go and be filled, restored, empowered, healed, consumed by the power and the presence of God. You've been wounded and emptied by this culture and by this world. All of us have. So much division, so much hate, so much chaos, so much destruction. It's in these secret places that God will empower us. We can make it day after day after day after day. David was the king of one of the strongest kingdoms in the world. His to-do list, I guarantee you, was bigger than yours. But David had a secret, and his secret was a secret place. And it was the moments in the secret place, he calls it my hidden place, the shelter of God, that empowered him to thrive in public. I challenge you this year, find God in the secret place. And he will alter the way you live in the public place. If you guys will stand with me. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit rest in this house. I pray, God, right now that you will just consume our hearts, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will do that thing that only you can do, God. That you will bring a hunger into our hearts. That you will bring a thirst into our hearts, Father. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let us see, come to terms with this reality. That at any given moment, we could walk away from the friend, walk away from the family, walk away from our spouse, walk away from the culture, walk away from the world, get in a cornfield or a closet or a room or a car or anywhere and find you and experience you. I pray, let us come to terms within ourselves, honest with ourselves, knowing now that you are in a secret place, knowing now that there's a depth to you that we can't get to in public. There's a depth to you that we can't get to on Sunday morning. There's a depth to you that we can't get to unless we are alone in the secret place. I pray that let us come to terms this morning with why we don't seek you on that level why we don't chase you on that level. If this is one of the things that your son died for, to open up our ability to know you in a real way, I pray, Lord, that you will just set a thirst in us, God. I pray, Lord, let this church become a church that seeks you in the secret place, God. I pray, Lord, right now, forget about the public. Forget about what's outside, God. Let our hearts and our minds just turn to you, Father. And I pray, God, right now, as this church and our people and our men, as we begin to seek you in that secret place, as we begin to go after you in that new way, God, I pray, Lord, that your presence is so real and so tangible that you begin to bring restoration to us, God, that you begin to fill us back up to give us back what the world has taken, Father. I pray, Lord, right now that you will just utterly move in our hearts and our lives, God. I pray, Father, that you will make us so unhappy with these distractions, with these little things, God, with these these nothingness, God, that we become miserable, Father, until we find you in the secret place. You died for it, God. Let us chase it with all we are.